So, hmm, for the past several decades, churches in America have modeled themselves and operated like businesses, okay? They have chosen leaders from the business world, men, primarily men, who had the ability to get things done, make things happen, lead a team. And as irony would have it, many of these fellas turned out to be, let's be honest, jerks, jerks. But boy, they could make things happen. The other thing about the, this church's obsession with operating like a business is that we have focused on measurable results. What can you measure? Attendance, dollars, size of buildings, those are easily measured. And so we've been measuring them and you can go to conferences and learn how to be able to have more of those things and measure more of them. And so churches have operated like businesses in America. And I wanna say to you this morning that I don't think that's been a good idea. Imagine for a moment if your biological family operated like a business. I can imagine having this conversation, Jenny, with our daughter, Jillian. Jillian, come here, sit down. Mom and I want to talk to you. These are some tough market conditions for a family these days. In college, college is expensive. And so we've decided that we're cutting your position. We feel that being a family of two will better enable us to be competitive in today's market. Come on, imagine having that conversation at your home. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody. We know intuitively that families are not the same thing as businesses. In a family, you're irreplaceable. There's only one you, to which some people would say, hallelujah, thank the Lord. There's only one you. Your value in the family is not tied to how much money you make or how often you clean the dishes. It's tied to who you are and the fact that you're a member of the family because you belong. In families, it's about belonging, not about producing. I'm lucky because I belong to a number of families. I belong to Team Vanderpool. I belong to Team Generations. I belong to the chamber. I've got a Chamber of Commerce family. I have a Leadership Jessamine family. I now, because I get to teach for Asbury, I have a little mini Asbury family that does stuff with the Salvation Army. I have a swim team family, which I do, which gets me wet sometimes. And then I have a dance family. So I have all these different kinds of families in my life. And so today, today I wanna remind you about something that's really important to me and really important to us. Church fundamentally is a family, not a business. Let me say that again. Church is a family and not a business. I've been excited, I've been teaching on this for 15 years and I've noticed that now pastors all across America are teaching the same thing. <gasps> Maybe we're all hearing from God. Okay, so it could be, could get excited about that, right? So today I want to invite you to lean in to this family called Generations Community Church. Lean into it, make the most of it. Um, and. I want to remind us that church is a family and not a business. Now, before I teach from Ephesians chapter two, I wanna spell out a little bit what business church is like. One of the ways that business church operates is, let's say uh, Brian, help, Brian leads our youth group. If this were business church, I could have a conversation with Brian like this. Brian, uh, attendance in the big room has jumped 
And you had double-digit growth for youth group as your goal. That was part of our performance plan this year, and you didn't hit that, man. I am so sorry. I know you love Carol and the kids and everything, but we're going to have to cut you loose. We need, to bring in, we need to bring in somebody who can get results, right? And so we would cut Brian loose. Does that happen a lot among the people that have gone through your program? Oh, breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. So that's one way that business church operates. Another way that business church operates is that senior pastors become fundamentally about casting a compelling vision, making sure the strategy is well implemented, and finessing high-capacity donors. You can actually go to seminars about how to finesse high-capacity donors. Who knew that was a thing? Well, apparently it is, right? Because museums know how to do that. Nonprofits know how to do that. The Red Cross knows how to do that, right? And so... One of the things that happens regularly in our church family is that I, I have what I call coffee conversations. But in business church, good luck trying to have a coffee conversation with that pastor because they don't, they don't do weddings or funerals. Many of them don't do baptisms and getting 30 minutes of their time is near impossible. Um, as they would say, if you were a cast member at Disney, you wouldn't expect to get 30 minutes with the CEO of Disney, would you? Right? And so... Business church operates in ways that I don't think are healthy because it focuses almost exclusively on the results part and ignores the relationship part. And in its wake, business church has, has ravaged some things. There's a whole slew of pastors who've undergone moral failures, I believe, because of the isolation that comes with running church like a business, so they're not in community, and the pressure, I can't imagine the pressure of trying to make $10 million mortgage payments, you know, a, a mortgage payment on $10 million or all these other things. And so we have a slew of moral failures and, and all kinds of things. Business church is also cultivated among Americans, among American churchgoers, this I'm waiting for the next cool thing kind of thing. <laughs> And so we're always, ooh, did you hear they're doing, ooh, you know, and it's kind of this cool next thing, the God of the next thing. And it almost becomes like an idol in our, our culture. And we've forgotten that it's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. What are the two greatest commandments? If you don't know them, they're up on the front here, right? <laughs> right behind me. What are the true... What? Let me ask that again. What are the two greatest commandments? And, yeah, love God and love people. Are those commandments about getting results? No, they're about relationships. Okay, now we're ready to go into Ephesians chapter 2. So if you brought your Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is a circular letter written by the Apostle Paul to a bunch of churches located in Asia Minor. And in chapter 2, he spends the first 10 verses spelling out salvation by grace. You don't earn it. It's not because your performance was out of the park and God said, whoa, Paul, that's awesome. You're in. It's based on what Jesus did on your behalf. Salvation by grace alone. And then he, he talks in the next uh, seven verses, in verses 11 through 18, how God is taking Jews and Gentiles and smashing them together uh, into one family. And he expands on this in verses 19 to 22. And the Gentiles, by the way, felt very unworthy of God's love. Some of us have a lot of 
you know, similarities with the Gentiles of the first century. They felt very unworthy of God's love. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We're all one big family now. So Ephesians chapter two, and we're gonna be in verses 19 through 22. And we'll start off with verse 19. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Now the word used here for family is a Greek word oikos. Have you ever wondered, how come they have that meal every month and it's called the oikos meal? That's the, it should be called oikos because we're eating, but it's oikos. I, no, it has nothing to do with the yogurt. It has to do with this Greek word used for household. And the Greek word for household is oikos. And oikoses were all over the Greco-Roman world. The Greco-Roman folks and families had them, the Jews had them, and the way it worked is an oikos was the Lord, the wife, their kids, servants, slaves, uh, and any clients receiving patronage from that household, that family, were all considered part of the family. And in an oikos, in, a, in God's family, every single person is irreplaceable. And your value is not based on what you bring. Every single person has a role, has a niche, and has a place of service. In this oikos that calls itself Generations Community Church, I wanna remind you, you are irreplaceable. You are irreplaceable, you are. In this family, there's some weird folks. There's some wonderful folks. In this family, all of us are dysfunctional. All of us are dysfunctional. In this family, all of us are broken. None of us is perfect, but every single one of us is irreplaceable. Every single one of us. Now, another thing I need to draw out is that a reminder, this word right here, you. Because uh, they printed Bibles and we started reading Bibles all by ourselves in our homes alone, we, we read through the Bible and every time we come across you because we're Americans and we're reading our Bible alone, what do we think you means? Me, me. you means me. No, in you, this is, this is all you all. That you right there is you plural. In fact, most of the yous that you're gonna encounter in scripture are all y'all. So anytime you come across you in the Bible, you should just automatically substitute all y'all because it'll help you understand it better. Mm -hmm. All y'all. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. All y'all are citizens along with all of God's holy people. All y'all are members of God's family. Okay? Woo! I didn't even know that. I didn't even know they had a Bible. Um, <laughs> okay? Verse 20. Verse 20. Together we, and this is we plural, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We're his house, and the foundations are the apostles and prophets, but it's their teachings. And what are they teaching us? They're teaching us who we are and whose we are. They're teaching us the gospel, the good news, that what Jesus Christ did is enough, and that Jesus has made a way for us to be right with God now. And so the family is built on those 
teachings, those key ideas, those truths about who God is and who we are. And then Paul continues in verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. He changes metaphors now. So instead of family, he's talking about a building or a dwelling, right? But this carefully joined together speaks to close relationships. Did you know that in the first century among clusters of oikoses, early Christian churches, people would refer to each other as brother and sister. So if Jenny and I were part of the church in say Coloss, and we were going to the Agora in, in Marketplace and we got separated and I ran into Daniel and he's like, oh, Maximus, how are things at your oikos? And I would say, <laughs> well, sister Jenny and I are, you know, and, and so the Romans got this idea Oh my goodness, those Christians are incestuous. <gasps> Ew! And it freaked the Romans out because they heard Christians use this language of family to talk about each other and they misunderstood, right? But this, they're talking about close relationships. And he finishes out in verse 22 and he says this, through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And again, God doesn't live in, he does live in us individually, but again, it's the all y'all. Remember, God lives in all y'all. <laughs> God lives in all y'all his, by his spirit, okay? There are several metaphors for church in the New Testament. Uh, the beloved bride, a ship, the building of God, uh, the household of faith, the flock, the people of God, but oikos family is the most predominant metaphor. In Matthew 12, 48, Jesus is, at, uh, Jesus is asked, a, he's told, uh, hey, your family's out on the skirts of the crowd and they wanna talk to you. And Jesus says, who is my mother and who is my brother and sister? Anyone who does the will of my father. And he's redefining family. In John's gospel, Jesus tells us that he is the vine and we're the branches. Branches don't bargain for their own separate interests. Uh, if they're connected to the vine, they grow. If they're not connected to the vine, they die. And so all of this tells me that church, according to Paul, is not some kind of voluntary association, which is what we do in America. Oh, you like Harley-Davidson motorcycles too? Well, I do too. Let's do the Harley-Davidson Motorcycle Club or any other thing, Lego Club, or I love Legos too. And so we kind of come together on a common interest and if the schedule doesn't work out and blah, 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 then I'm out of here, peace out, because it's a totally voluntary association. And Paul is wanting us to see, no, 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 it's family and family's different. So if church is not primarily a place a building, an experience, or an event, but an extended family. Let me ask a question. When it comes to, what comes to your mind, what comes to your mind when you think of church? What comes to your mind? Is it a building? Is it a worship experience? Or is it a set of relationships, a people? So I wanna make this as practical as I can. So. Church is a family, not a business. And again, this has nothing to do, by the way, with big or small. I am not saying this morning, small churches are great, big churches are bad. It's about mindset and approach. That's what it's about. You can be big and be a family. 
My mom's side of the family is Italian. Let me tell you, there's no gathering less than 50 people. I don't know why that is, but it's just a thing, Italian Catholics, okay? So at any rate, how can you and I take this home? First and foremost, show up. Part, one of the biggest things about family is just showing up, showing up at the key moments. Um, even when you don't feel like it, even when things are tough, even if you can't stand another tirade from Aunt Susan about how YouTube is the portal to hell, you show up, right? Although Aunt Susan is probably right. <laughs> but so showing up, when showing up is a way of saying, I love you, I care, right? And so uh, take home part number one is when it matters, show up. Second takeaway, remember Thanksgiving dinner. You and I live in a day and a time when America is coming apart at the scenes and America's wanting to sort people Team red, team blue, team conservative, team progressive, and they're wanting to do it by politics and all this other stuff. You're going to have all kinds of different opinions about how Americans should order their lives together for a common good. But remember the Thanksgiving dinner table rule. Relationship comes before being right, right? So am I saying we can't talk about politics and stuff? No. I'm just saying when push comes to shove, remember the relationship takes priority over being right. And there are going to be times when you think, they are so wrong, and you're just going to be so right about it. But remember, the relationship, because I, I know you and I know me. I'm always right. I don't know about you, right? <laughs> so just remember, the relationship is more important than being right. A third takeaway from this, leave room for one more. In our own biological family, Team Vanderpool, there, it's always been the case, there's always room for one more at the table. And for us as an oikos, as a family of God, it ought to be the case that for us too, right? There's always room for one more, one more. There's always room for one more, whether it's youth group, whether it's large events. You could be on a ministry team at Generations right now and you might think, whoa, we've got more than enough people, but I want you to keep a mindset of, you know what? There's room for one more. There's room for one more. Because the truth of the matter is, for many of us, when it came to finding our way back to God, which was really God kind of drawing us back to himself, part of our story was someone in a church, in an oikos, who made room for us and kind of helped bring us back in, right? And so always leave room for one more. Uh, fourth takeaway, work things out. This is so hard today. This is another thing Americans can't do very well. But we should excel at this at church. And so I'm going to give you a phrase that you can use. Um, so here's, here's what's going to happen. In any family, when in your biological families, has, have people who have been your parents or your siblings ever hurt your feelings? Let me ask that question again. You seem stunned by it. This is church, so you need to be honest because God's here. In your family, have family members ever hurt your feelings? Oh, okay. So in this family, I'm going to tell you right now, there's a good chance that someone's going to hurt your feelings. It's going to happen. And, and maybe they said they were going to do something and they didn't follow through or any number of things, right? And so the way that Americans tend to handle that is they just kind of slink away and they don't say anything. And, but they'll tell all their friends and, and the next place they end up. You're not going to believe these people over here. They did X, right? And so 
What I want us to do is always be good. And we have an actual, this is part of our code of conduct is this idea of dealing direct. So when somebody comes to me and they say, man, Matt Morris in worship and blah, 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 blah. And I'll go, well, that's great. Have you talked to Matt? No, I'll go with you if you want me to, but that's who you need to talk to because that's where the issue is, right? And so, um, so work things out. And here's the phrase you can use. Hey, you stepped on my toes when? It's real simple, right? So say that with me. Hey, you stepped on my toes when? And that's a great in. And sometimes it's going to be me. Hey, Max, you stepped on my toes when? You said you would and blah, 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 right? And what that does is it gives the other person an opportunity to really reveal their true jerkiness. Well, I'm so glad I, but chances are what's really going to happen? I'm so sorry, right? And then the relationship can be made right again, okay? So work things out. That's the fourth thing. Last thing, and you hear this regularly, but I want to remind you, success is when we can say of somebody, I'm proud of you. That's success. In this family, success is when, because they're following Jesus, because they remind us of Jesus because of their walk, and no, is it perfect? No, it's not perfect, but they're, they're letting Jesus lead, and they're following as best they can, right? I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. So, one of the ways that we can do that as an oikos is to look for ways to say that to one another. If you see somebody in the, who's a youth leader or uh, serving in the nursery or any number of things, hey, I'm proud of you. You remind me of Jesus because, and, and out it goes, right? So those are some practical takeaways for what it means for church to be a family and not a business. Among many of the little oikoses that were around Asia Minor, Colossus, Philippi, you know, if Ephesus, all these little towns and places and cities, a lot of the congregations were formed by um, freed slaves. So these were people, uh, so I gotta remind you of how slavery worked in the Roman Empire. So Jenny and I, um, there's no modern medicine, uh, we're popping out kids, oh, this kid's missing an arm. So we put that kid in a clay pot and we take the kid to the garbage dump and we leave it there. Now, before there were Christians, there was only one group of people that would go around the garbage dumps looking for people. And who were they? Slave traders. So if you were a freed slave, you were someone who had typically been abandoned by your biological family. And here, the, this, these apostles are making their way, announcing that God has visited the planet in the form of Jesus and that God has made a way to be right with him, and that God wants to adopt you into his family with all the inheritance rights that come with it. And that resonated with these people who had been freed slaves, this idea of family. I wanna to suggest to you that we live at a time that's eerily similar to the first century in terms of the disregard that our culture has for people. We throw people away and we throw kids away. And in our community, there are tons of people that I believe this idea that God wants to adopt you into his family would really, really resonate, okay? So church is a family, not a business. This is really important. And I just wanted to come back to it before we embark on the next part of our adventure as a family. 